I'm Edit Chakraborty and this is The Business. Coming up on this week's podcast, we discuss the problem of credit. The government wants the banks to loan out more of it. So have the likes of Lloyds and RBS been caught between Northern Rock and a hard place when it comes to lending? Plus, from Business Secretary to de facto PM, is Peter Manson the right man to be running the country? And with friends like these, we analyse the implications for the city after Friends Provenant accepts a £1.8 billion takeover bid. I'm Edith Chakraborty, and this is The Business from The Guardian. Here with me in the studio is Dan Roberts, The Guardian's Head of Business. Fresh from your staycation, Dan? Yes, yeah, staycating in Wales and had a lovely time, although I keep waiting for August to arrive in terms of stories. We, we, it doesn't slow down, it's just non-stop in business. And it's the hardest working woman in business journalism. It's our banking expert, Jill Trainer. If only that were true, ridiculous. And joining us for the first time on the show, it's the Guardian's associate comment editor and the best-dressed socialist in town, it says here, Seamus Milne. Well, I'm honoured. What are you wearing today, Seamus? What number have you got on? Well, Cocktail frock. Yeah, exactly. We won't tell anyone. And on that sartorial note, let's get things rolling. It's been a busy seven days in the city. In last week's programme, we brought you news of Northern Rock's losses and the huge profits of Barclays and HSBC. Then the Bank of England came along and with a bucket of cold water for economic forecasters, injected another 50 billion quid into the government's quantitative easing programme. Finally, RBS, the bank that's 70% owned by the taxpayer and which has been at the centre of so much bad press in the last 12 months, reported a hugely disappointing pre-tax profit of £15 million for the first six months of the year. With so much going on, we thought we'd address a fundamental issue at the heart of the banking crisis, credit. In particular, are banks lending enough and how do we get them to do more? Jill, you're the banking expert, so we'll come to you first. What's your answer? Well, I mean, I obviously spend a lot of time listening to the arguments that the banks give about credit and lending. I mean, Stephen Hester last Friday was talking about how we needed to move from being a sort of culture of borrowers to a culture of savers. And he said this was, you know, something that would require a huge cultural shift. Um, The the reality is the banks insist that they are putting money into the economy. As you know, Lloyds and RBS are both committed to lending money because they've They've signed signed up up to to the asset protection scheme. Indeed, they've, they've got legally binding deals with the government. If you look at the figures put out last week, you can see that they're both lending money in the in the mortgage market, but they neither of them, in fact, none of the banks really were are, are look like they're going to achieve any of the targets that they have been set for lending to businesses, particularly small businesses, and they blame uh, actually a lack of demand, and you could look at gross figures for lending, and you can look at net figures, i.e., what's been repaid, and what the banks were insisting last week is that while they are putting money into the economy they're also being repaid people aren't drawing down overdrafts um and they insist that the money's there to so be borrowers are getting more timid but some banks actually if they wanted to they couldn't lend out as much as we might hope they would. this is the argument they were putting forward last week you can of course then ask them about the price of credit which takes us into a whole new realm. And I think I may have mentioned last week that John Varley, the boss of Barclays, was talking about the fact that money in a recession, um, this recession, is cheaper than in previous recessions. So you could say, well, of course, John, because you know base rates are, in fact, 0.5%. But the, the banks insist they are putting the money into the economy. OK. Seamus, you've written column after cracking column on what we should do with the banks. What's your solution to the, to the lending crisis? Well, I- I mean, what Jill's saying is right in a way. I mean, obviously, from the bank's point of view, it's in their interest to rebuild their balance sheets and their profitability levels. And that's what 
their shareholders would want them to do in normal circumstances. But of course, in the case of two of the banks we've been talking about, they're predominantly or, or largely state-owned. The other two aren't, but they depend on state funding loans and guarantees. Now, but whatever the ba- is in the interest of the banks, quite clearly isn't in the interest of the economy. And so the, the real problem is at the government level. The government, government is giving contradictory messages to the banks. On the one hand, it's encouraging them to rebuild their balance sheets and it's encouraging them to repay loans. And in the case of the stakes that the government's taken in RBS, for example, it wants that repaid. It wants, the, it wants to be able to sell off these banks because it doesn't believe it should be in the business of running banks. So but on the other hand, it's trying to encourage lending. And these are two contradictory so impulses. Does the fault lie with the bankers, like John Varley and Stephen Hester, or does it lie with Gordon Brown, Alice Darling, Peter Manson? Well, as I say, I mean, I think the bankers are doing what you would expect them to do, given the messages they're being given by their owners, either private shareholders or state shareholders. The problem is that the government is not driving through the main priority, which is to increase lending in the economy and to increase lending to business in particular, to cut the rate of lending and to increase the availability. And that is going to you know, lengthen and deepen the recession. So it's a, really quite a serious and central issue in economic policy. But Jill pointed out, all the, the the banks which have got these uh, asset protection schemes which entered into it, they've signed up to explicit lending targets. Uh, the government calls in the banks on a fairly regular uh, 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 intervals to get them to lend more. Um, short of actually just saying to them, look, guys, hand us over the keys. We'll do your business for you. What can the government do? Well, they, they should be directing them to lend more, not asking them to lend more or cajoling them to lend more. I mean, that's what the, the, the problem is. And because they've got an underlying ideological obsession that governments shouldn't be in the business of running banks, I think that's at the core of their their problem and uh, you know they need to direct them to increase the overall level of lending we've had you know lenders pull out of the market there's been quite a substantial loss of credit availability and that 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 hole needs to be filled that gap in the market needs to be filled and it can only be filled by state direction there you go dan the government ought to be running the banks what do you think of that I agree that we're not getting enough back for our ownership. I mean, I think that the priority should be uh, the economy um, and the sort of health of the banks should be secondary to that. I also think, I mean, the risk of sort of muddying the waters, I I kind of think both positions have uh, an element of truth. I think the banks are right that new lending is very, um, or or, or new borrowing requirements from companies is is very subdued at the moment. That's what happens in a recession. People get nervous and they don't invest in new kit and they don't expand and and they don't do leverage takeovers and things. I think what's concerning um, and what is still a problem is that there's all sorts of companies that took on too much debt during the boom times that need to refinance that or are getting into trouble because their cash flow has uh, uh, shrunk. And they're the ones that are looking around and saying, well, who's going to give Who's going to lend us that money? And this actually is an issue that's going to get worse over the next year or two because there's a time lag effect there. I mean, the peak of the of the leverage buyout boom was about 18 months, two years ago. There's lots of there's lots of debt in there, companies that were bought by private equity firms on three-year money or something, they're going to run out of that in 12 months. The economy might have boomed and all be rosy by then. But if they can't refinance that debt, if they can't find somebody else to, 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 to give them another loan, they'll go under. And, and that's where I think we haven't, we haven't had a good... Uh, we're not getting confident signs from the banks, and that's where the government does need, to, I think, to sort of lean more heavily on them. And this is where the asset protection scheme comes in in some ways, because obviously the banks that did a lot of those lending to those buyouts you're talking about are now Lloyds Banking Group and via HBOS and, and RBS, which is why, through the asset protection scheme, the government is trying to work up a way of allowing new loans to be granted to existing customers and still be somehow covered by the asset protection scheme. The details are still to emerge, but it is something that the authorities are certainly aware of and trying to address. 
But coming back to you, Seamus, I mean, small businesses are in the habit of moaning. They'll moan about regulation, they'll moan about taxes, and a bank and the business that's been refused a loan from a bank is obviously going to moan about it. I mean, some of the businesses that are going to, to banks, you presume surely shouldn't be getting the loans in the first place, so you shouldn't be asking for loans. Yeah, I mean, the point about the, uh, the government direction is not to say that the you know, the banks should lend to this or that business. The point is that should the overall level of lending should be increased. And there's no argument about the fact that it has fallen. I mean, we've got the figures that, that show that. Um, and so the, the government's job is to direct the banks that it now predominantly owns. And I personally think it should have taken full ownership of those banks so that all the other questions about private shareholders are put to one side and use them as a motor, an engine of, you know, counter-recessionary policy. And that's just not happening. Okay, let's just go around the table quickly. If you were advising the government and you were trying to get the banks to lend more, what would be the one thing you'd do? Seamus, for you it would be? To take full ownership of RBS and, uh, and Lloyds and use them as a motor of uh, uh, an engine of re- recovery in the economy and drive up the rates of lending. Gio, I presume you agree with all of that. I, I think the situation that, that Seamus is talking about, this idea that you're getting contradictory messages from from the government is, is, is certainly a problem. And I think the banks themselves would like clearer direction on this. They are in a between a rock and a hard place. What's the answer? Um, clearer signals from government, I think, about precisely what they want to do, and particularly UK financial investments, which owns our stakes in those banks, perhaps being more outspoken about what it thinks it's trying to do. Dan? I'm not sure that more lending is actually always the solution. I think part of the problem is we've had too many businesses that have just got too much debt on board and need to be restructured. And our bankruptcy laws don't allow that in a very healthy way. Quite often they just go under when that... But but actually we need to take... Especially take sectors like construction or property where there is an awful lot of reckless borrowing and people stuffed to the gills with debt. That's not going to go away, especially not in a recession. And until you tackle that... Yes, you need to be. You need to have um, sympathetic banks to make sure that the rug doesn't get pulled prematurely. But uh, that doesn't actually solve the problem. The bigger problem is that there, there are lots of balance sheets that need restructuring. So, together. what would you have? Some kind of version of Chapter Eleven for the UK? Yeah, I think we need to actually sort of. Um, uh, I mean, I think we, we do need to have a sort of a, another look at um, uh, the bankruptcy laws. I also think we need to own up, face up to the fact that lots of businesses are fundamentally insolvent and, and need restructuring. And paradoxically, we're doing the opposite at the moment. I think that the um, um, the asset protection scheme and the kind of loan guarantees given to the banks is actually giving them an excuse to sort of you know put to one side and ignore them and, and try and, and hope they go away. And, and a lot of them aren't. Okay, we'll pull the plug on that one. There's plenty more news and analysis on the banks, most of it from Jill Trainer, over at guardian.co.uk forward slash business. Time now, as Ben Elton used to say, to get a bit political. I remember all my life Raining down as cold as ice I got a number of industrial announcements to make as well as some further initiatives to take to do with the car industry, which is top of my agenda, but that doesn't mean to say that I'm in charge of the country. I'd say it's business as usual week. Looking in the eyes, I see a memory, I never realise how happy you made me, oh man, but you came and you gave Well, I didn't quite know what the point she was making, because she was so busy throwing what seemed like green soup or something in my face that she failed to tell me what the protest was about. If you'll just calm down for one moment, perhaps I can get a word in. My view of regulation is 
that the regulatory framework that was designed in Britain uh, during the last 10 years was, broadly speaking, basically a good design. You can call him Manly, you can call him Manson, or you can give him the pomp of his full 34-word title. Baron Manderson of Foy in the County of Herefordshire and Hartlepool in the County of Durham, Lord President of Council, First Secretary of State and Secretary of State for Business Innovation and Skills. Either way, he's got one hell of a business card. And this week, Matthew, he's acting Prime Minister. Indeed, many would argue he's more powerful than the PM, even though he described himself as a mere pussycat in an interview with The Guardian's Decade Can Head this week. But what does his time spent in charge of the business department tell us about his future career prospects? Seamus, you've had dealings with Mandy over the years. What do, how do you think he's changed? Well, he's definitely become uh, more of a pussycat, as he himself says. I mean, he uh, he's not nearly as uh, vituperative or aggressive politically as he used to be, but he is a very effective politician. I would say he's a brilliant politician. But I think the problem that he faces in politics right now is that you know the kind of politics that he's been associated with since the beginning of New Labour, if not before is the very kind of politics and economics that has been most discredited by the events of the last two years. Now, because he's nimble on his feet, he has uh, tried to reposition himself. I mean, most recently there was the, the stuff in the, paper, in the Guardian a couple of days ago about uh, university admissions, which is clearly trying to appeal to a Labour audience, uh, a traditional Labour audience, which he wouldn't have wanted to do in the past. But his industrial activism and this enthusiasm for intervention in the style of Michael Heseltine, um, is certainly something new for him. Although when he was first in the department 10 years ago, there was a bit of that going on as well. But I think it's more packaging than reality. I mean, I'd be interested, I'd be interested to hear what the others say. But I mean, in, in terms of the car industry, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem to even begin to get to the levels of intervention that have been successfully carried out in France or Germany. Um, and, of course, the amount of money that he's got from the Treasury to play with is quite small. And we've got the slightly embarrassing situation, although it's a small-scale but thing, but it's a very symbolic thing, where you know the only wind turbine uh, factory in Britain um, producing for this vast increase in, in green energy that's planned by the government has just been closed down. And, in fact, he, his department, not Ed Miliband's, is the lead department involved. And so that's why people at protesters are camped outside his house uh, today and yesterday. Um, but I think so that the substance is not, not yet there, even if the spin is there. Dan, he talks about industrial activism. He talks about a need for real engineering, not financial engineering. Do you believe what he says? Um, I think he's um, he's much better tactically than he is strategically. I think the government is still, uh, you know, dreadfully short on on, on industrial policy and, and, and a real sense of where we're going and how we're going to try and rebalance the economy. I haven't heard anything from Mandelson on that that's impressed me. Where, where where he has impressed me is I think tactically he's he's very he's very um, sharp and he also his his greatest political liability, which is his cozying up to the rich and his swanning around in Corfu, and uh, has given him a, a great sort of feeling for how to play businessmen and whereas a lot of government ministers I think come off very naive when they're, when they're in negotiations and normally get 
legged over, frankly. Um, Mandelson toughs it out. I mean, there's a great example today with the um, uh, Jaguar uh, have been sort of um, banging on the door of the government for six months saying, if you don't give us the money, you know, it's it's curtains for the, for the, for the car factories, you know. And a lot of people, myself including, were saying, hang on a minute, this is owned by one of the richest men in the world. This is part of a huge Indian conglomerate. Uh, and they only just bought it a few months ago. They're really saying they're going to kind of go to the wall if the government doesn't put its hand in its pocket. Mandelson toughed that out. And lo and behold, they found some other money. You know, isn't that a surprise? Now, many other ministers, I think, would have kind of blinked at that point. And, oh, my God, they're going to close Jaguar. And I think Mandelson's sense of the rich and sense of how to, to deal with those kind of characters does put him in good stead. Jill, there's a point in politics where if you just hang around long enough, people tend to take you more seriously. Heswatine, Ken Clark, Peter Manson. Do you think people that you talk to in the banks or in the city, do you think they respect Manson? Do they admire him? Do they think he's got saying the right things? Well, the, the bankers are obviously having quite a lot to do with him because he's running the lending panel, back to lending again. So they are certainly having to work much harder and providing much more data than they've ever had to before. And they are having to take instructions. And what from do they him. say about him? Um, I think most of them believe that he's uh, quite um, determined to get to the bottom of the real story about lending, which is the specific thing that that, that, that they're interested, you know, that, that their involvement with him is. And I think on the whole, there is some element of, is respect the right word, but some element Grudging of respect. respect Grudging, probably. <laughs> I think so. Do you not think? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, and Seamus, you you start off by talking about industrial activism and you talked about how he's been nimble on his feet. There's There's been a kind of strange kind of uh, two-step going on between the left and Peter Manson over the last six months where people like the TUC say, well, what Manson's saying about industrial activism is actually quite serious and it's welcome that we're finally getting this from Labour. Are they misguided? Too hopeful? You know, I think they know the reality that he is uh, one of the biggest players in the government, if not the biggest, and uh, and they want to get results. Uh, you know, they, we, you know, there's been war between the Labour movement and Peter Mandelson for many, many years, and it's not. You know, people want real results on the ground now. And anyway, as has become clear over the uh, attempt to attempted coup against Gordon Brown, you know, actually Peter Mandelson's role in riding to his rescue was quite appreciated by many people who, in the past, would have uh, would have been his bitterest enemies. But you know, you know, it's still no real love loss because people know, you know, underneath it all that he is someone who has, is wedded to a particular conception of how the economy should be run and how business should be, which, which they regard as discredited and, uh, and uh, you know, out of time. Uh, but as I say, I mean, I think, in fact, Mandelson, given his background, has been quite clever in repositioning himself, but he has still to deliver the goods on the ground. And what odds would you give on him becoming the next leader of the Labour Party? I think they're, 16 very, to one. they're very, very long. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can't get enough of the Dark Lord Mandy, there's extensive coverage of everything he's up to at guardian.co.uk slash politics. Oh, and that song at the beginning, by the way, was a cover of Baron Manlow's Mandy by Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Finally this week, are you feeling friendly? The Board of Friends Provident was certainly in a benevolent mood this week after they accepted a £1.8 billion takeover offer from British billionaire Clive Cowdery and his resolution group. The deals raised eyebrows in the business world, not least because a management of the insurance company, which was founded by Quakers in the 19th century, seemed to have crumbled at the off when most industry analysts expected a long-running battle. Dan, you've described this deal as a white flag being hoisted over the city. 
Why? Well, I think it's one of those um, one of those rare takeover deals that actually you know has uh, should interest people way, way beyond the city. It's actually a terribly dull company and a terribly dull industry. But um, what it um, gets at is um, the return to all of the the, the, the worst sides of of finance. Um, we've had it in investment banking in the last few weeks. We've seen um, the bonus culture coming back, and um, we're now seeing it in the takeover culture. And what that is is a very very short termist sort of behaviour by institutions. Um, the big question um, uh, which the government is trying to address at the moment, Paul Miners is trying to address, is how do you get institutional shareholders to act like owners and and, and force management to behave in, in, a, in a better and a more long-term fashion? Um, and it, it, it seems to be a losing battle because the first big takeover deal we've had since the crisis has actually gone right back to the old style of doing things, which is you just fold at the first hurdle because you you, you know the, the investors just want a quick pop and a quick return. And in this case, they've they've turned a blind eye to some pretty shoddy corporate governance standards and, uh, and the takeover vehicle resolution, which, you know, is all the same mistakes that they made during the private equity takeover bubble. And you kind of think, well, actually, has anybody learned any lessons? And who is Clive Cowdery? Well, he's a very successful um, uh, financier who basically spotted an opportunity to do some financial engineering in, in, in insurance, which is sort of kind of colliding together lots of um, uh, closed funds. These are these are funds that sort of are not necessarily taking new investment money, but still have to kind of manage uh, the funds and sort of pay out to pensioners and insurance companies. And he spotted an opportunity to kind of throw those together and, and create some um, uh, some money along the way. I mean, I don't have a problem with what he's doing, but I do I do think that the the, the institutional investors who allow him to do it need to be a bit more savvy because basically he's taking them for a ride. And Jill, for over the past two years, we've been hearing from the city that they've learned lessons of the financial crisis and they're not going to go back to that and they're going to think more about long-term shareholding and taking a proper ownership interest in the businesses that they, they have stakes in. Um, and as Dan says, the first bunch of spivs comes along with uh, a company that's registered in Guernsey, I think, in some for 0% tax. Two people, most of their operations outsourced, and they just roll over, don't they? The, the institutions um, think Clive Cowdery on the whole is a fantastic businessman because he made them a lot of money through these life vehicles that Dan's just been describing to you. The reality is this is a very different type of takeover vehicle that he's created here. The structure is extremely unusual. It, I think it probably pays its tax in Guernsey. Well, we're trying to get the answers to all these questions and Any I haven't managed to get... At all. I don't think we have done that yet. Well, do you know, I, I, I was trying to get the answers before I came yeah. into this room and I'm afraid we still don't have them. Um, you know, even the analysts, um, for instance, Meryl Lynch this afternoon, have said that they they can see very limited changes that he's given to Friends Provident about the way this vehicle is structured. The other thing that's really quite interesting about the way he's, this thing is called resolution uh, is structured is that it can only really make any money by keeping doing deals. So this is going to be the first of probably quite a lot of deals. And if he's as ambitious as people think, he could be buying bits of Lloyd's Banking Group, for instance, or Legal in General or Aviva. I mean, household names. It is quite an extraordinary vehicle that has that he's been created and he but he does seem to have support from big city institutions rightly or wrongly there you go Seamus Gordon Gecko's back and he's registered in Guernsey when you look at the bonuses or you look at things like the Friends Provident deal do you get a sense that many lessons have been learned from the financial crisis. I think this is the tragedy of this political moment, actually, that, you know, I mean, the, there was a, the crash was a disaster for lots of people in real life. They're going to lose their jobs, and they are losing their jobs, their homes, uh, businesses are going bust. But it also created the possibility of, you know, moving on from a particular model of capitalism that has not 
you know, delivered in terms of long-term investment and development, balanced development and social development that would uh, benefit everybody in society. In fact, what we've seen is, you know, a huge speculative bubble which has crashed and caused havoc in its wake. You know, that failure opened up the possibility of, of restructuring the economy, restructuring the City of London in a way that would benefit most people. And that just is not being seized. I mean, we were talking earlier about the the bank lending problem, but of course it goes much wider. And I mean, we used to talk, uh, you know, the, 30 years ago, people used to talk about the uh, the idea, the ideal of a mixed economy. It was considered quite a right-wing position then. Um, but actually, these mutuals, which were demutualized so disastrously because they became part of the uh, the unsustainable credit boom, played a very important role. And this is one of those uh, one of those companies which you know would benefit from being in a in a form of modern form of mutual ownership. But in fact, we're you know we're just seeing the you know the repetition of the same problems again and again and it does show the need for a real intervention to change direction it's not happening it's obviously not going to come from the Tories if they're elected next year either and so I, I fear that actually we're in for a, a period of uh, you know both stagnation and further speculative booms and crashes until there is a political will to get a grip on this and start to create something new and and sustainable okay that'll do for this week thank you to Dan Roberts Jill Trainer, and Seamus Milne There's more comment and analysis on everything you've heard on the Guardian's business website. And you can have your say on our blog at guardian.co.uk slash the business. You'll find details there too of how to subscribe to us on iTunes and so help to push us to the top of the podcast charts. That will bring enormous smiles to our producer, Ben Green, and some small sense of satisfaction to me, Adit Chakraborty. That was the business. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 